You're listening to the one and only Wrestling Changed My Life podcast. Let's go. Like I said, you get your ass kicked for like two years straight by these guys that you've never even seen or heard of before. They're just bigger and better than you and older and more experienced. And so then you go back into that zone of like, yeah, you're training hard and you know you're putting the work in, but in the back of your mind, quietly, in private, you're telling yourself, man, that sometimes you're thinking there's no way. There's no way I'm ever going to be able to make the Olympic team. Like, I can't even beat the guy that's seventh right now. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the, the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's, it's 5% of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort. It humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can hit, humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back at my time and I spent wrestling, if it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness. Yes, indeed, ladies and gents. It's another episode of Wrestling Changed My Life. This is your host, Ryan Warner. Thank you so much for tuning in. My guest today is Chaz Betts, a 2012 Olympian on the Greco team, or if you watch pro wrestling, you'll know him as Chad Gable. He's a rising star in the WWE and is on SmackDown and Raw on a weekly basis. This guy is just an ace of a human being, and I really enjoyed the podcast and couldn't wait to get this conversation out. Before we get to it, fan of the week time, and it goes to Nick Ziegler, an outdoor enthusiast who may be helping set up a few interviews for the podcast. So thank you so much, Nick. Greatly appreciate your help. Also, if you enjoyed this episode, please give us a rating on whatever app you're using. So if you're on the Apple Podcast app, scroll down to the bottom and click whatever star you feel is appropriate. I'm not going to judge. Whatever rating you feel is appropriate, you put that in there. And that's it, folks. Let's give it up for Chaz, the Minnesota Viking, Bets. Peace! Chaz, welcome to the podcast, man. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Outstanding. Thanks for taking the time today. Absolutely, man. I've uh, I've been listening to some of your stuff. I just found out about it through Mike Thorne, uh, old teammate of mine, and the interviews are great, man. So I uh, I couldn't be happier. Thanks for having me, <laughs> man. That it's crazy to hear you say that, man. You're an Olympian, a, a TV star now, so to say that means a lot. I, I greatly <laughs> appreciate it. And dude, how good of a guy is Mike Thorne? Let's just start there. <laughs> he's like he's <laughs> one of the best, man. Mike's the man, dude. I've. Uh, as as you probably know, I've known him for a long time. Uh, we started in in the High Flyers Wrestling Club together when we were both very young, and we just we were very good friends and kind of stuck by each other all the way through high school, you know, and ended up winning state championship together and all that. So he's uh, a good friend of mine that I still uh, I still stay in touch with quite a bit. So how good were those teams you guys were on back at St. Michael's back in the day? Yeah, it was kind of a uh, a perfect storm man because like a lot of the guys that were on that team had had uh gone to high flyers as well the same as us and we all kind of just grew up together with the same passion and the same kind of intense coaching and and style that i think pushed us all to that point or at least it was my senior year um where we weren't going to settle for anything less than winning a state title and that was just everybody's mentality you know it was that perfect storm of there's no way we're losing uh this is our year and yeah it was just a great group of guys that were all very <laughs> very very motivated and driven and uh you know it, it was a special time that's badass when you have a bunch of guys together like that where they all have that same kind of shared goal and shared belief and 
God, you think back to those times, just hanging out in the locker rooms or, or going on the buses to some of those duels. That's the best times about all that, you know? It, it's so unique to me because, like, now that I'm a bit older and I have a chance to look back at it, it's like the drive and focus and just, like, maturity for, for that age that we all had is crazy to me to think that kids that age could have that now. Back then, we don't think about it, you know? It's just what we did because we were so singularly focused on this one goal. Uh, but to know that we all had that kind of discipline back then uh, – it's pretty mind blowing now. I can only hope that that my now that I have kids, hoping that they can you know dedicate themselves in some way to the same type of thing. And you know, it, it, it when I think my training partner back then was Jake Rigelko, uh, who's a guy I still occasionally will talk to as well. But we train together every single day, and we we were so intense, and we loved it so much, man. And I just remember like we would fight harder with each other and wrestle each other harder a lot of times than we would our opponents just because practice was so important to us. Training was so important to us. And like, <laughs> I, like at sections one year or my senior year at sections, I remember like we knew both of us knew we were going to kill this tournament. We knew we were going to destroy everybody. So him and I took it upon ourselves to like turn the warm up round into basically <laughs> something hard, harder than the tournament, you know. I think I think we both walk off the mat with bloody noses and like bleeding and just pouring sweat. And it's like the tournament hadn't even started. And I remember like guys in our bracket just looking at us like, "What? What are they doing?" You know, we're just killing each other out there. But we were we were so into it, man. We were so so intense and just ready to go. And basically, like the whole team was like that. It was a it was very unique dynamic. It was awesome. Man, people in the in the like you said, the other other guys in the bracket, or even maybe like a few parents who it was their first wrestling yeah. meet to come to. They come and they see you two savages warming up. A couple of yeah. <laughs> a couple of Vikings from Minnesota just beating the crap out of each other before the tournament starts. Yeah, yeah. God, that's awesome, man. So that team was was pretty stacked. And was Thorne's dad the coach of it? No. So John was. Um still kind of helping out on the side at the time. And actually I, I credit John to being like the key component to me winning a folk style state title because I had always been a good Greco wrestler and, and a decent freestyle wrestler. I'd won a, a bunch of state titles, you know, in, mm -hmm. in Greco and freestyle at the age group level. But uh, as far as folk style goes, it was just never really my niche, you know, like, as far as riding and, and escaping from bottom uh, were never my strong points. And John took me uh, my, my junior year uh, before, before the season started and kind of, uh, you know, asked me, but basically made me uh, come in before school every day. Uh, Cause I didn't play a fall sport and uh, wrestle with him. And we were about the same size at that time. And, uh, you know, John would just beat the crap out of me. He, he had the, not only the old man strength, but just the years of experience of wrestling, um, at, at an extremely high level that he just beat the crap out of me. And this was every day before school, my junior year at like six in the morning, you know, before he'd go to work and before I'd go to school. And then slowly like that fall, I found myself like catching up to him and he was teaching me things like, head positioning and how to drive and use my legs properly and all this stuff. And I was like catching up little by little. And this stuff was no joke. I, I remember like he would teach me arm bars and things like that. A lot of it, which maybe I never ended up using, but just the pain I was going through, I would wake up like in the middle of the night <laughs> with just my shoulders and my back just screaming. I, you know, I think something was wrong with me, but then like, I have to remember, you no, know, John did it. Or I'd like, you know, I'd send him to work down in Minneapolis with like scrapes all across his head. And he'd send me to school with like my eyes and stuff all cut up. And it's like, <laughs> those, those are the things I look back on. And I just love, you know, because that's the stuff that shaped me. And like I said, I credit John a lot because that, that fall really taught me the value of kind of what it meant to put the work in. I had always been a hard worker and considered myself that, but this was different this was extra and on top of anything I would have ever been asked to do. And then 
the like the first two tournaments that year, I was blowing guys out of the water that had either beat me the year before or I was just barely scraping by. You know, it wasn't even a question to whether or not this like completely changed the game for me. And so John from that point on was someone who basically I did whatever he said. Um, no questions asked. And uh, yeah, he, he's the guy I credit to basically, you know, helping me win a state title my senior year. Man, to have someone who's that open to learning, such as yourself, it's pretty cool to see. And then when you see the results, God, that's a beautiful thing. And that's that's the powerful thing about sports is if you have the right mentality and put the work in, obviously you're going to get better. And even cooler was the fact that Thorne's dad, who's like an adult, <laughs> he's coming in in the morning working out with you. And was it just you two guys or were the other guys coming in as well? Uh, Mike would come in and then like Joe Grigelko and then occasionally – some other guys that uh, if occasionally we would do it after school. So some guys would come in um, some mornings, the guys that wouldn't have practice for their fall sport would come in. But basically it was like Mike in there with a partner and then me and John. And uh, you know, yeah, it, it was, it was such, what a credit to John to be able to do that as an, as a guy who has a job and all these responsibilities and like, I'll never forget the image of him. Like every morning he had his sweatpants and, and his sweatshirt and he would go to the corner and jump rope for like 10 minutes as his warm up, you know, and <laughs> just sitting there. And as a kid, you know, before school and you're kind of dragging and I'm sitting there just exhausted and tired, but you're kind of looking at this guy like in awe. Like, what, how, how is he doing this? He's old, way older than me. He's already been through like, the ringer as far as wrestling is concerned, but here he is. He's just training every day, man. And it was, uh, it was kind of inspiring. So I hope that's me someday. Not to mention the stress of like real life, right? Like he's got yeah. a, a job, family, wife, mortgage. And it's like, man, you look back on the amount of time coaches spend with, with high school programs. I don't know how people do it. I don't know if I could do it now. It, it's just crazy to look at now when you have, like commitments and you think, God, these people put in so much freaking time back then. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, the more, like I said, I got kids now. So it even if this is stuff I think about all the time now going back and like, even my parents just driving me to all these tournaments and like practices every single week. And it was nonstop, but I didn't think about it at the time. But now that I got kids and I got a job and other responsibilities, like how the heck, how did my parents manage all that? You know what I mean? But that is, that's what made me. Those are the, the type of sacrifices that I guess we make for our kids without any of those, without John, without my parents sacrificing their free time that they could have, you know, very easily have used just to do whatever they wanted. You know, here we are. I ended up achieving my dreams because other people, you know, were willing to set theirs aside and help me out. So very grateful for that. No question, man. And you said it in passing, but you know your job is your full time job a professional wrestler. Yeah, so I work for WWE now as a wrestler. Uh, and for those that don't know, uh, some people do, but it was something that I had always wanted to do. I was a fan, you know, since I was a little kid, and uh, but grew very, very passionate about it in high school and. Uh, some of my close friends know, but like how passionate I was and my parents know, but yeah, it was like undying passion. Like as much, I love pro wrestling as much as I love, you know, Greco freestyle folk style wrestling. Um, and it was something I always wanted to do. And then after the Olympics, uh, they had just happened to be looking for, uh, you know, legitimate athletes at the time with real sports backgrounds. So even being a smaller guy for that kind of, uh, for pro wrestling, I'm considered a smaller guy, but I ended up landing a tryout and stuff with them. Just the timing worked out great. So I got to, uh, I got to sign with WWE and now I, uh, I wrestle for them on a weekly basis. That's amazing. How many of the guys you work with actually love it to the level that you do versus just do it for a job because they're super athletic and jacked. So I think to reach, what we call the main roster, which is SmackDown and Raw, our kind of main mainstream shows that are on, on cable and network television, um, you kind of have to love it. You know, it, it's not something anybody that can just kind of stumble into and, mm -hmm. yeah, I'm just doing this as a side thing. Like, 
to reach the level that we're at, you, you have to love it. Um, there is a place called NXT, which is now a third brand. It's on USA as well. That's where I started. And at the time it was considered kind of our training system and our developmental system. And that's where you'd get signed to and, and basically get trained. And now they were taking a lot of athletes from any sports background, as long as they were like willing to put in the work and, and drive, or they were, they would take people from just different backgrounds, some actors, things like that. And, uh, but then what you'd find is once they got down there and kind of got in the thick of it, it was in Florida and start training, we would very quickly weed out the people that were not passionate about it because it's very, very difficult, uh, both mentally and physically. Some, a lot of times more mentally than anything. Um, it's not easy. It, it, it's, uh, it's a very tough job. And yeah, we did a very good job of quickly weeding out the people that we didn't think, uh, you know, were very passionate. So at the end of the day, we're left with just a lot of again, and I've been fortunate for this to always be surrounded just by very driven, um, you know, dedicated people that all have a, a similar goal. And it's just the, an environment I've always been in. And I think I thrive in. That's an exciting thing to be around people who are doing what they love and are you know, driven, like you said. Now, when you first get down there, I mean, what's the training like? And what about it? is taxing on the mental side. I mean, we can imagine physically you have to be in incredible shape. You're getting banged up every single week, but do you have any stories or any examples of some times where you're pushed the limits mentally? Yeah. So the schedule uh, can be rough. Now down there, it was different than it is for me currently. And I'll just briefly try to describe the difference, which was like when I started down there, we had uh, training twice a day, one, in ring session so we'd be in the ring for three hours and then three hours and that includes oh. three hours in the ring every day and that includes like doing all your rolls uh your drills running the ropes bumping um basically wrestling just physical physical stuff for three hours and then you'd get a small break uh and then we'd come back and do our weight training in the afternoon 90 minutes uh that was every day of the week monday through friday and then thursday fridays and saturdays on top of that, we had our shows in Florida, which we would do three shows a week locally. And we'd basically drive to the town that we're doing the show in, um, unload the ring truck and all the uh, equipment ourselves. We'd do all the setup for the show ourselves. So it was all in-house, like basically the lights, the wow. trusses, the guardrails, the chairs, everything, the ring. We'd carry it all in from the truck, unload it, set everything up, do our show reload tear everything down load it back on the truck and then drive back and we'd get home at you know 1 2 30 in the morning wake up go to practice the next day rinse and repeat basically and uh i did that for like three years down in nxt so as you can imagine oh my god like dude. The tra- <laughs> three the, years the transition yeah 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 like that was uh that was a rough one but it's for me like anything else and i think that's the kind of part that you know weeds out a lot of people is like if you can't get through that i mean there's no way you're going to make the schedule we have now which is the road schedule is a completely different animal so then now that i'm on smackdown and raw sure i got to move back home so now i'm living in minnesota which i love and i've always wanted to but i'm flying out every week and i'm on the road four or five days a week every week and that's being away from my family and i have two daughters now and a boy on the way uh, that's the mental part that I'm talking about. Yeah. That's hard that you have to basically, you know, you have to get through, you have to find your routine and a way to get through it. And some guys can, and that's, that's what I'm talking about for the guys that get weeded out. Like once you reach this level, you better have a passion for it. You better love it because it, it basically encompasses your life, man. You know, it's like you're, you're with a lot of the guys you work with and whoever you choose to ride with, you're with them more than you're with your family a lot of times. So, uh, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. It's, it's what I always wanted to do. The rush and the thrill of wrestling is like my favorite thing in the world. There's nothing like it. Um, so I get paid to do, you know, what I've always wanted to do as a little kid. So I have zero complaints whatsoever. That's awesome, man. And the fact that you knew what you wanted to do at such a young age and, you kept that goal in mind. You know, it wasn't something that you could execute on right away. 
but like you kept it kind of in the back of your mind. It was always there. And did you like do amateur wrestling to get there, or was it just something you also happened to love? No, I didn't use amateur wrestling to get there. That ended up being how it worked out for fortunately for me, but it wasn't, that wasn't the case originally. I, uh, I always loved wrestling, I guess, except from the time I moved to St. Michael, I should say, because, uh, I think my dad took me to a practice. If I remember right, when I was like five years old and we had still lived in prior Lake in Minnesota. And I don't even think I got on the mat. I think I just made him turn around and bring us home <laughs> for whatever reason. I just wasn't drawn to it. But then, uh, we moved to St. Michael, and from from day one, I just fell in love with it uh, for whatever reason, and it just stuck with me. Yeah, once I and especially once I discovered Greco, like it was a a very big passion for me from a young age, and I think that was just a by chance thing. My dad like said he heard about this Greco thing. There's a Greco tournament, and I believe I was in fourth grade. And we should go try it out. And it was state. And I won my first tournament, my first state title in Greco. And from that moment, it was like no looking back because it was all throws. It was all hips, upper body, which is like lent itself to my strengths. And I was like very passionate about it from day one. Greco was always my thing. So who's ever heard of a fourth grader doing a Greco tournament? I mean, Illinois is a huge freestyle (laughs) state, you know, and. I was doing some research on you, and everything I've heard, even from Mike, is that you always love Greco. I go, I'm thinking, why? But, I mean, obviously, I have a good friend who, um, not a good friend, but a guy I used to wrestle with, Jonathan Drendel. I don't know if you know him. Oh, know yeah. I was, he was on my team up in Marquette in Michigan uh, for a few years there. I know Drendel very well. Dude, shit, that's right. I forgot. A, so, are they still doing that program in northern Michigan? Yes. Okay. Yes, they are. My uh, my best friend in the world, uh, Andy Bezik, is coaching it right now, actually. Got it. Okay. Describe what that is for people. Because I, I have a feeling that a lot of the listeners are probably more folk style, freestyle, and don't really know sure. what that is. I kind of forgot about it until I started researching this one here. Yeah, so it's called the uh, Olympic Education Center at Northern Michigan. And uh, when I found out about it, it was Fargo, my junior year. And... It was just another happenstance thing. You'll find this theme in my life where things just kind of, uh, it happened and, uh, it, and all for the better for me. Like I feel very lucky and fortunate for all this stuff that just seemed to work out for me. But, uh, my dad and I were walking, uh, by a table up in Fargo and i made the finals that year, my junior year in Greco. And, uh, we were walking by this table and it just had like a couple pamphlets kind of just junky looking, no thought, no work put into it. And I don't even think anyone was, and I don't think anyone was sitting there. It was just these papers that talked about this place that you could train and go to college, but train for the Olympics at the same time and get your school paid for. And my dad and I are looking at each other like, no way. You know what I mean? Like this is, this is impossible. This yeah. is like, I'm now looking to go to college and this is what I do. This is what I want to do. And we'd never heard about this, and this opportunity just presented itself. Anyway, we found Ivan Ivanov, who was the coach there at the time, and he basically explained it to us as well as he could, and everything that was on the paper was true, as far as he said. And he said, if you win win Fargo, you know, you can come up and go to school. And I was like, okay. Uh, I took second that year, but I already, like, he had already said, you're good to go that fall. You can come uh, the following year. So I won Fargo my senior year, moved right up to Northern Michigan, uh, with Andy Bezik, the guy I just mentioned, I convinced him also to, uh, come to school up there as a last minute decision. Uh, he changed his mind from going to Mankato to come up there with me just cause we were such good friends. I think he'll tell you it was probably one of the best decisions he's ever made as he ended up making the Olympic team. Uh, yeah, but, say. <laughs> but basically, yeah, I mean, we, we would we were living up there in Marquette, Michigan. It's right on Lake Superior, and uh, training twice a day and going to college in in between. So we'd wake up at go to practice at six thirty in the morning, do our morning practice, and uh, you know basically go to college and go to school all day. And then when that was over, come back and and go to mat practice in the afternoon, and 
train the same way that uh, the guys train at the Olympic Training Center in Colorado, but we were doing it up there and going to school at the same time. It was uh, it was pretty awesome. And at the same, like I said, they uh, they had a scholarship in place as well at the same time, which still blows my mind because when I say it was a full ride, like they took care of everything, like. Like you didn't pay a cent. Housing, food, no. And, like, I was too ignorant at the time to know what that meant. And once again, looking back, I sit here and go, holy shit, like, that's insane. You know, I left college with a degree, all my training, and didn't owe a dime. It it blows my mind. And, you know, my wife went to college with me as well, so I'm very well aware of what it costs. And so I look back and just go, holy crap, man. And that's pretty far up there, right? Be there at that time. Yeah, yeah, that's in the Upper Peninsula. Oh, it is in the UP. You know, it's yep, it's in the UP. So I was a Uper for six years, and uh, I look back on Marquette very fondly. You know, I still go there. uh, We went there this summer just to vacation for a few days. You know, we'll go every couple years just to go back and visit because it's a beautiful, beautiful city. So, who funds the scholarships then? So it was called the Bart Stupak Scholarship. He was a congressman for Michigan, government government stuff. Um, and now they, there's been so much going on since then that I know it's not the same type of scholarship that it was back then. I'm not exactly familiar with how it works now and how much they get or the funding and all that. Um, but it's still going. It's still in place. And like I said, Andy's coaching it now, and he's loving it. Uh, he's got a great group of guys up there, and he—he's a guy I would have wanted as a coach. I just know him. I know his demeanor and his temperament, and how care how much he cares about it. And uh, so he's—he's he's a great fit for that place. Uh, but yeah, it's just cool that you can do that in Greco. And you know, I, I said that Illinois is a freestyle state, which is true, but I forgot they're also a huge Greco state, like Brian Medlin is a sage when yeah. it comes to coaching and he's a huge Greco guy. So I wonder if any of the, like the Ellis Coleman's or Lilla Shaw Coleman's like, I wonder if those guys win or not, but um, yeah, it's just, it's yeah, just, I remember like they were really Chicago or not Chicago. I always say Chicago, um, Illinois it, yeah. really blew up uh, you know, a few years after I got to Northern, as far as the Greco scene goes. And then all of a sudden, like at Northern, we were getting this influx of Illinois guys, just like, so many and you talked about ellis and we had like pete kowalczyk as a heavyweight drendel just like all these all these guys coming in from illinois because they just blew up and whoever was putting the all this work into the greco program and then finally it just exploded and so that was that was pretty cool to see all these guys coming from one concentrated area you know we're used to that in minnesota because the tradition here is so strong in greco but it's cool to see it kind of branch out into other areas yeah, and it's really just grassroots level stuff. I mean, the freestyle folks, that's kind of their own thing, and it was the overtime school wrestling run by Sean Borme, who's now at Michigan, the head coach of Michigan. So that was who was running our youth program in the state with freestyle. But then Greco was Mike Powell, who's the head coach at, or was the head coach at Oak Park River Forest, and then Brian Medlin. And I think they just got a lot of guys who were, yeah, I don't want to say like misfits, but kind of like an island of misfit toys, but then they dominated, you know, and then made some Olympic teams. And it's just cool to see that. And I just can't imagine when you're up there in this secluded place, you're going to college. <laughs> I wonder if like students are like, what the hell are these guys doing up here? Because it's not a, a sports team there, you know, but it is. Yeah. It was so, it's another thing I thought was so unique because, and they couldn't have picked a more perfect place, you know, than Marquette to, to put us because there's, I mean, you can't really get in much trouble up there. You know, it's like you said, it's very secluded. It's almost, and especially in the wintertime, man, it's very Rocky-esque. It's almost like you're in Siberia because it's so cold up there and it, it, snows so much i'm used to it thankfully because i'm from minnesota but you'd get guys in from california or florida that almost like turn around (laughs) and go home after after uh october hits because they're like no i didn't sign up for this um but it's it was super cool because it keeps you focused it kept you uh motivated and driven because it's like this is all we're here for this is what i'm here for and we had a coach 
uh, I mentioned Ivan Ivanov was our coach and he helped just drive that home because he was so, he's from Bulgaria, grew up in, in Bulgaria, he's from Eastern Europe. So his mentality, as you can imagine, is very hard nosed, like no bullshit. Um, he just doesn't take it. He took no excuses. Um, I mean, school would get canceled, you, you know, because of the snow or the cold, but that doesn't mean practice is canceled. So there was a ton of days where my car or any, all of our cars, I'm sure are just buried in the driveway in snow schools canceled. Most kids are just going back to sleep, but it's like, you know, you have to show up to practice because Yvonne's going to be there. And if he's there, then we have to be there too. So you're out digging your car out at, you know, five forty-five or six oh. in the morning. So they, it's like, Oh, just so you can go to practice. Oh, dude. <laughs> it's like, Oh man. Um, but now it's stuff I look back at fondly, you know, at the time it's terrible, but it's like, Oh, that just makes, uh, it makes a man out of you. That's for sure. No question, man. And anyone who's grown up in the Midwest and assuming that their, you know, their car in high school didn't have a garage. I know, you know, we grew up in a small house. We didn't even have a garage. So, you know, we get up to go to wrestling practice in the morning, scraping the windshield and then sitting in your car while it warms up is some of the most it just brings a, a chill to the bone. So I can't even imagine yeah. up at the Upper Peninsula. I mean, it's funny. My brother and I went up there to Wakefield, Michigan, which is in the sure. the UP in August, like 10 years ago for uh, – it's kind of a random thing, but a boat race. But we were up there for like a week, and we just fell in love with the UP. It's so scenic That's up great. there. Yeah. It's so peaceful. You know, it's like, God, love it up there. So the fact that – you got to go up there, hang out with a bunch of Greco guys, and just train really to be an Olympian for six years. What a cool experience that is. Did you also get to do, like, tournaments? And did you go on international trips? Or did you do, like, like just go out to the Colorado and do duels out there with other Greco guys? Yeah, so from uh, pretty much from the very beginning, uh, Andy and I both were sponsored by the Minnesota Storm. So we would go to basically every tournament throughout the year, which uh, at the time it was Sunkist and then New York, Dave Schultz and, and then nationals. Uh, and between those four tournaments, you would always try to get two international tours in as well. And so in the fall, you'd usually go to like the Scandinavian countries or, and then in the winter tour, you'd go to Eastern Europe and do some tournaments over there. And uh, those were always my favorite. Like I loved going overseas because not only did you get to travel the world with your friends, but you got to like see these amazing places and wrestle these guys that were, you know, had kind of taken the next step and reached the next level. And especially when we just started up there and I was just 18 coming out of high school, 19, we were still kids and just finding out that like we're wrestling men now, you know, it's not, you're yeah. not wrestling other guys your age. We're wrestling at the senior level at these tournaments. So you're wrestling 25, 26 year old guys up to 35 that have been wrestling for 10 or 15 years at this level. And so it was kind of an eye opener that first, those first two years, like really, really getting your ass kicked, you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> in ways that you had never before, <laughs> just manhandled, you know, uh, but, but that's what makes you. I think any guy would tell you like, you have to go through that little period yeah. of adjustment before you take that next step. And that's what those first couple of years were. And so, so we competed not a lot, but as much as we could, cause there's just not that many senior level tournaments every year, but you kind of, that's what your training dictates. You know, we periodized and peaked for each of those tournaments. And then you kind of uh, try to peak for the end of the year and get to the world team trials and stuff. So, um, yeah, it was uh, it was good. I love how you guys plan out the schedule like that. And I can imagine when you go overseas, you're not just going for one tournament. You're probably going for two or three weekends. Is that how it worked? Yeah, usually try to string together at least two overseas tournaments with a training camp in between was kind of the idea. Um, and then the, a lot of the teams over there, the countries would have the same mentality. So what would happen is what was cool was a lot of times you'd do the tournament and then the week in between, you'd have a training camp, but with like five or six other teams, which was always super cool to get to wrestle all these new guys in between. Wow. And I, I always like to prefer to stay over there as long as I could, because if you're 
spending the money to take the trip over, you might as well get as much out of it as you can. Like, and the one, one of the things I credit to my making the Olympic team was the, the trip I actually took on my own, um, to Hungary and Turkey, uh, the, the year before the Olympics. So in 2011, um, I had planned this whole trip out kind of on my own where we started in Romania, did a tournament. I went to Budapest after that in Hungary with CP Schlater. He Mm -hmm. came with me for a training camp for like seven or eight days. And then CP went home and then I went to Turkey where the world championships were, but the world championships weren't for like another three weeks or something like that. So I was in Turkey by myself. I, I was with their national team, but I was the only American there. And, uh, I just stayed at their national team camp and trained with, trained with their world team for like three weeks by myself. And it was during Ramadan. So that was a whole, like another element that was very unique. And Mm -hmm. I was like waking up in the middle of the night to eat with them and fasting during the day with them. You did? And it was just this whole, yeah, it was like a very (laughs) unique, I think for the first two weeks I did that. And then when the other like Americans started showing up to get ready for worlds, I, I kind of made my way over there and, and went with them. But yeah, that whole t- time period was like so unique for me and just immersing myself in the culture by myself for once. And it really made me appreciate just the different preparations that different teams go through for the world. Because even though we, I had done world team training camps in America, of course, before, but I'd never done one that close to the world championships with an international team. And so just watching their guys prepare and how they got treated and it just opened my eyes to this whole new world and just gave me even more respect for it than I already had. And when I came back home, man, I had a like completely different mindset and I was just so driven and ready to attack the season and the year. And it was like another perfect storm. It just worked out great. God, I love that you lived over there that long. And the fact that they were cool with having you there, I I can't imagine that team USA would let someone from, Georgia live in Colorado Springs the month before the Worlds and I could be wrong on that and I'm not saying that in a negative way I just think that's so unique um I'd love to hear before we kind of go on to the Olympics and and uh and wrap this bad boy up I'd love to hear when you were over there you know Andy Rovat was on and he lived in Ossetia for a year in Russia and he talks about how simple it was and how you know they didn't do a lot of like powerlifting and it was more technical and if you wanted to get in shape you'd wrestle more was it like that in turkey in terms of like a simpler way of life and different training than the u.s it was definitely different so how so uh, and i would say so we were there like i said it was right before the world championship so they were what i'm speaking about is there they were preparing specifically for a tournament the biggest tournament of the year and it was like three weeks away or two weeks away so this wasn't like, uh, you know, off season or eight months out where they were trying to build strength or anything, you know, whatever strength they had, they had that they were going to have for the world. What they were doing were like these 30 minute practices and, but they were very high intensity and they were basically trying to simulate, uh, the world championships. So they were either doing live matches, uh, live goes, but they were really trying to crush these guys. Uh, just for 30 minutes, though, for the world team guys. So they would be rotating guys in, you know, every 30 seconds or every minute on their world team guy um, until he's just wrecked, you know. And he, every whistle, these guys are falling down in the in the mat because they're so exhausted. Wow. And I'll, I'll never forget something I thought was so awesome. was like It was like each guy had their own personal kind of trainer that would tend to them during every break or rest period which I thought was so awesome. And like, the, so the whistle would blow, these guys would collapse on the mat and then each guy's trainer would come out with like their spray. We never know <laughs> what the spray does. You know, but they've always got the spray and they, <laughs> and they're spraying Dude, it out. What is that shit, right? Ice packs and they're, yeah. <laughs> and they're putting the ice packs wherever they want them and they're rubbing them down and giving them a massage. And this is like a minute long, you know, but they're doing, it's like a tune up or something. And then all of a sudden they're back on their feet and they just go crazy again, you know, for another 60 90 seconds or whatever it is two minutes and it was like 30 seconds like that high in te- or 30 minutes like that super high intensity and that was it for them and then they would leave the wrestling room or whatever open for like another hour and then guys like me 
or their second string guy, third, third string guy, whoever it is that didn't have the tournament coming up, we would stick around and just work on stuff and just basically what we call play wrestle. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of, you know, going like 65 to 85% anywhere in there, not live wrestling, but still not just giving anything to your opponent, uh, still fighting a little bit. And we would do that for just an hour and just roll around and, and I learned a lot from those guys, like without even being able to speak their language or then being able to speak mine, you know, wrestling its own language. Like we were very easily able to communicate to each other the questions I had or them helping me out and showing me what I was doing wrong. So it was, it was pretty awesome. That's and then, you badass. know, as far as warm ups and cool down, like we would play basketball, but if you've ever seen wrestlers uh play basketball or our version of basketball you know uh it can be pretty rough and it looks nothing like it but i always enjoy that too so there's a video of khabib doing that online uh, on youtube this guy who runs this series called anatomy of a fighter he he has access to all these mma camps and in uh in dagestan that's how they warm up and that's how they even condition is that kind of like football basketball type thing and it gets intense yeah, I <laughs> I took another trip to St. Petersburg, Russia, uh, one time with a friend of mine, Kerry Regner, who trained at Northern, and maybe Jake Deichler as well, who was from Minnesota yeah. on the Olympic team. And I remember we were warming up. We would play basketball every day like that uh, to warm up, but it was like a fight basically. It wasn't. There was no dribbling. There was no like technique or anything. You just get the ball, run, and try to try to shoot it but basically you'd get tackled and, and i know what at least once like when i got tackled i was so intent on hanging onto the ball because these guys would like just piss you off and i was so intent on not giving the ball up that i held it for so long that i had like three russian guys just like raining down punches on me you know just <laughs> trying to get the ball away from me and it was like it's just like a sense of pride you know that like no way are you gonna beat an American and something like this, you know, and it was Jesus. Uh, it, it, pretty intense. Yeah. So we're, um, before we move on to the Olympics in Russia, I know the freestyle hub is obviously Dagestan and North Ossetia. Where's the Greco hub? Because their dominance might even be more obvious in Greco than it is in freestyle. Yeah. So I know, I believe when all the, like they get their top guys to train at camps, I believe they do it in Moscow. But, you know, they're kind of scattered throughout because okay. uh, a lot of like I just mentioned St. Petersburg and I, that's not like the wrestling capital or anything. But there was definitely like studs that came out of St. Petersburg and Greco. And it, it was weird because that year that we went, it, the tournament we went to there, it was like all these no name guys you'd never seen before. But of course, like they're Russian. So they're all like incredible athletes and incredible wrestlers. But then, um, like, two of the guys at that tournament that year from St. Petersburg or whatever ended up making the world team. And so I'm not exactly sure where you would call the hub. I know I think, I think know they train in Moscow. Okay. Um, but, yeah, it's like guys come from everywhere. It's, it's unbelievable. We don't know half the names, but they could yeah. easily be on a world team in most countries. You know, it's unbelievable oh, yeah. Yeah. how deep they are. Um, and I keep – I kept – I keep alluding to this, but kind of the last thing I wanted to ask you about as we wind down here is the Olympics. You were an Olympian in 2012. And from what I read, correct me if I'm wrong, you had never made a world team before that. Well, actually, that's not true because you were at the 2011 ones. Uh, how, how many world teams did you make before the Olympics? So I was at the 2011, but I was not on the team. Okay, So, so that's kind of why I had the okay. freedom to train how I wanted that summer. That's why I was able to take that trip and stuff because I wasn't really any under anyone's watch as far as my training for the world team or whatever, but I made the world team in 2009, which was kind of another breakthrough for me only because I, I started at Northern in 04. And so I had four years, one Olympic cycle to train and try to make the team in 2008. Uh, I didn't make the team that year. I was not, I wasn't ready. I wasn't good enough yet. Um, and Brad Varian was like at the top of his game and he was kind of, in my in my way at the weight class if you want to say um but then in 2009 he had retired and for me it kind of opened the spot up as far as I was concerned so in 09 I was like focused again like really excited I'd done well all year 
And then I beat TC Dantzler in the finals uh, that year of World Team Trials, who was another veteran, um, like just very, very savvy, technique-wise guy. Um, so beating him in a two out of three finals, like it gave me the confidence to like put the stamp of approval on myself that like I'm ready now, you know, I'm like, I've arrived at the senior level and it's my turn to like really start to take this spot and call it my own. So, um, I, I had stuck around in the top two or three every year since that year up until the Olympic year. And then kind of just all came together for me that year. Like I said, I was focused. After that Turkey trip, I, I came back. I won the New York Athletic Club tournament. Um, I won Dave Schultz. Uh, I, was, I won the U.S. Open. And I, it was just that it was my year. You yeah. know, I just felt it. I, I, knew, I knew it was for me. I was winning international medals. I was confident. I was scoring points now. It wasn't uh, me just defending and all this stuff. Like, because the rules were a little funky back then you know where you could just stall and win matches if you wanted but i was scoring on everybody my confidence was high so it all just came together for me and uh uh yeah that dancer uh match sounds like that's one where you knew going into it, you were going to get taken into deep water and that probably took everything you had to get through that and probably a huge turning point for you to get through that match and come out on top yeah, I think I took a few years off my parents' life with that little series. Because <laughs> that was like the two out of three, as you know, and it went to the third match, and Ugh. we were the last match of the night. So it was it had to be like 10.30 at night, and we were going out for the match, and it went into the third period, and like it came down to the last two seconds of the third period. I had to defend to win, and he's got like this incredible reverse lift, and I just defended. So I'm sure my parents you know, wanted to just – Ugh, just like wring my neck because it's been watching the clock go five, four, but uh, I put them through a lot. But you know, I don't think they, uh, I don't think they trade anything. But that was, yeah, that was definitely deep water. Um, it was one I was just happy to get through and happy to just finally prove to myself that that we're here and and we're gonna make this thing happen. The approval to yourself is something I'm fascinated with because. Even if you do all the right things, if you don't believe you're, you don't believe that you are, you know, I'm trying to think of the best words, like good enough to win or believe that that's possible for you. Like, even if you say it outwardly, inwardly, you know what the conversation that you're having with yourself is. And that is just yeah. something I've gone down a rat hole on the past two years is the conversation you have with yourself. And that seems like that was a turning point for you there. Yeah. And that's a, a subject that, like, I've thought a lot about you know, and wrestling has taught me more about myself in that aspect than anything, because it goes through stages. Like I said, when, when I was a senior in high school, I finally got to that point where I knew, I knew I was going to win state. There was no question. Like that was it. The confidence had finally reached that level, whatever we want to call that level where you have it, you know it. And then I had to restart all of that when I started on the senior level. Like I said, you get your ass kicked for like two years straight by these guys that you've never even seen or heard of before. They're just bigger and better than you and older and more experienced. And so then you go back into that zone of like, yeah, you're training hard and you know you're putting the work in, but in the back of your mind, quietly, in private, you're telling yourself, man, that sometimes you're thinking there's no way. There's no way I'm ever going to be able to make the Olympic team like I can't even beat the guy that's seventh right now. And you want me to beat this guy that's first. But then like, sure enough, man, like anything else, slowly, but surely you like start chipping away and chipping away. And like you get one win here and you get one here and, Oh man, you finally win an international medal at some tournament. And then you do something else. And, and all of a sudden you're third and then you're second and then you win it. And you're like, crap, where did all that time go? And you don't even remember those times where you were doubting yourself because the confidence is so high and you finally reach that level again. And it's like, that's the most beautiful thing to me. And wrestling is what taught me that, that in life, you know, that like, <laughs> you got to learn patience, man, because not everything's going to come to you right away. Like you want it. Everybody thinks they want that, but it's the process. It's the, what you learn about yourself in the process and failing over and over. But, but, persevering 
and just being resilient, man. And it's, it's a beautiful thing when you finally get there. Well, and you, you would know the three years in Florida kind of reminds me of starting all over again. I mean, you're setting up booms and lights and shit like that. You know, it's, you've been through so many of those phases and I just, I often wonder, you see people out in, out in public where, you know, they order something at Starbucks and the order's wrong and they blow a gasket and you got to think to yourself, man, I feel bad for that person because they've never been through a wrestling season or they've never had like these conversations with themselves where they're so stressed out. You start crying and you're sitting there by yourself because you just don't ever think you can get there. It's like that journey and the, and the process to get there is, is such a cool thing about any sport or, or any, it doesn't have to be a sport. It could be anything you want to do that requires effort. Yep, but yep. Uh, God, it seems like wrestling really, really brings it out, doesn't it, man? Re- wrestling is it. That's that's. And I know you were going to ask, and I don't want to beat you to it, but that's the, what it taught me. You know, is like resilience and that perseverance. It's and you mentioned, you know, starting over again and this stuff with WWE and pro wrestling, and it's so true. I didn't want to get too long-winded, but it, it, it happened again. You know, yeah. when I got down to Florida, I'm at the bottom of the totem pole again. But I knew from the moment I got there, because by that time, I knew what was going on. Like, the feeling was not new to me. It was like, okay, I've done this before. Now I'm going to have to, like, integrate myself into this system, learn it, and then do what I've done always and just rise to the top slowly but surely. And sure, it's not like, it's not like I never lost confidence down there or still don't because like it still happens, but I'm able to be aware of that because of wrestling. Like I'm able to be aware of what's happening in my mind when I'm going to those places that can be dark sometimes. And you're, you're doubting yourself and you're, you're having this negative self-talk, which I try to avoid, but sometimes we just can't, you know, let's be honest. No doubt, man. and And it's gotten me through. And so and again, like now that I've gotten up to SmackDown and um, Raw, which is kind of like what we call our next level, it happened again. Like I reached the top down in Florida and it's like, here you go. Okay, bud, start over again. We're going to go through it again. <laughs> and it, it, it's almost like endless loop in life, you know, right? As long as you're one of these people that, or a person that has goals and dreams, you never really get satisfied. You, you might reach what you think is your goal, and your dream or whatever. But once you get it, you, you want more and mm-hmm. you always want to take the next step. And so if anything I owe to wrestling, it's the ability to like recognize that and willingness to go through all the crap and all the dark times to be able to take that next step and reach it and know that it's going to happen as long as you just stay steadfast and, and persevere, man. Beautiful way to sign this thing off. Chaz, it's been a, Real pleasure talking with you, man. And I'm feeling inspired and just a little bit lighter load off my back just talking to you because it's like, God, dude, you've you've been through it, and I can only imagine some of those those uh, moments you've had by yourself, flying back from Europe or sitting at your hotel room by yourself and on the road with the WWE. And you know, you've been there, man, and you're someone we can all look up to. So thank you for your time, sir. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. I enjoy the conversation, man. Appreciate what you do. All right, brother. Take care. And all great things must come to an end. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, give us a review, give us a rating, and share this with your friends. It would mean the world to us. Thanks for listening to Wrestling Changed My Life. My Life.